This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, you menace. You 13 pounds of just menace. Leave the squirrel alone. It's like on the other side of a window. It's not going to come at you, you know? Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. In the past year and a half, 23 million U.S. households got bigger, messier, and louder. And not because of a newborn. One in five families got a dog or a cat helping to make a lonely trying time a little easier, or on some days, a lot harder. My own family got a dog last year, and let's just say it was challenging. Our guests this week can definitely sympathize. I have a dog that I, I mean, demands being talked about because she's causing a lot of headache. And I mean, she's wonderful in so many ways, but oh man, raising her has kicked my ass. This is Simone Yetch. She's an inventor, popular YouTuber, and she's wicked creative. You might have seen some of her viral videos. I know people call me the queen of shitty robots and that my track record isn't terribly impressive so far, but I have an angle grinder and a welder and I'm not afraid to use them. She built a Tesla truck, which she calls Truckla. Before Elon Musk did, she's invented all sorts of wacky things like a selfie booth for her dog to take photos on his own. So we're talking about an exceptionally capable, creative woman. And yet, this tiny dog named Scraps has brought her to her knees. Scraps is two years old. She's 13 pounds, fluffy. She kind of looks like a welding spark. And she was Mm. uh, surrendered outside of a shelter with a shattered leg when she was three months. She got it amputated. I got her about a week after her amputation. Where did she get her name from, if I may ask? She's a workshop dog because I'm a builder. And um, I just thought it would be really cute having a workshop dog named Scraps. Do you want to show us Scraps? Is she camera ready? How's she feeling? Scraps, do you want to come here? Do you want to come sit on my lap and bump up against the mic and all the things you do? No. No. (laughs) She's like, she's like, yo, dog, I'm good. (laughs) Simone has had dogs all her life and has diligently worked with multiple dog trainers. But even with her extensive knowledge base, she hasn't been able to figure out a way to get Scraps to stop barking. There you go. She has a lot of trust issues, not towards me. I like immediately became her point of safety. But when I got her, she would bark at every person we crossed. And she really doesn't go well with kids. And she's slowly gotten better. Um, 
but we still really struggle with having people over at the house. I mean, I tend to say that she has a bark for every occasion. She demand barks, she guard barks, <laughs> she uh, stranger danger barks. I mean, she, she does it all. On today's show, we're tackling all of your difficult dog questions, from barking to biting. We know Simone is one of millions of people struggling right now, and it's not just about how annoying it is when a dog's barking. Really difficult dogs, which Simone also knows something about, can force wrenching decisions about what is safe and what is best for the dog and for other humans, which are not always the same. There's so much to cover here that we're actually going to spend two episodes on how to train your dog and how to train yourself with the help of a world-renowned dog trainer who is surprisingly open about her own frustrations with her dogs. But there are things you can do to have a happier pet and be a happier person. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. Oh, look at that little one. Oh, hi. Isn't he cute? How's how's the teething going? What a cute. We're just just starting. He's three months old and about 25 pounds. He's kind of a big guy. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) Uh, Just to narrate for our listeners, he's currently chewing on Denise's (laughs) face. (laughs) Yeah. But in a very loving way. way. Yeah. Yeah. Very very sweet. He's a fur ball. He's He's a fur ball. Yeah. This is Denise Fenzi. She's a world-class dog trainer who teaches thousands of students virtually every semester through her online academy. I was born into a dog family, so I've been in some form or another involved in dogs, dog shows uh, since I was 12, and I'm 52, so that gives me a whole lot of years in now. 
I've seen a lot over that time, huge changes in how dogs are trained. It's so much kinder and gentler now. It used to be really rough. I used to compete quite a bit, but now I'm much more interested in helping people find ways to develop their relationships with their dogs that work for all parties. So it's not all about the dog. It's not all about the person. It's not all about society. It's finding ways where we all give and take a little bit and end up in a better space. It's like a couple therapists, exactly, but for dogs. Right, exactly. <laughs> the latest trend in dog training philosophy is called positive reinforcement. Essentially, instead of using punishments to get rid of bad behaviors, you motivate the dog by rewarding good behavior. It's certainly more humane. People aren't hitting or otherwise punishing their dogs as often. But just like in parenting, where positive discipline is also very much in fashion, it may be unrealistic to do it 100% of the time. I believe very much in both children and in dogs that the way to um, run our lives to the best of our ability with people we care about, with dogs we care about, is to emphasize what we want as opposed to what we don't want. Yeah. Having said that, human beings have rights. And I can tell you, and I won't say what I actually say because it's really not appropriate. But when my <laughs> dogs go running through the house screaming their heads off, sometimes the thing I say is um, not too kind. And it is primarily designed to stop that behavior at that moment right now. Okay. I mean it. I need to know what you say. <laughs> can I say it? Yeah, yeah. You can Shut say the it. fuck up is what I say. Yeah. yeah. So the question then is, how is my dog impacted by that statement? My dogs stop and they look at me and I say, very good. The reality is sometimes I'm doing something like right now we're having this conversation. If my dog goes running off, the positive things that I would like to do are not pragmatic. I'm working. And so sometimes in the same way, if one of my children wanders through right now, I am going to say, I'm not going to be mean, but I'm going to say, you need to wait. I'm in the middle of an interview. And if they then try to ask me again, I'm going to say, you need to wait. So that's not positive. But in a living situation where all the players have needs, I feel comfortable when my dog tries to take my food off my counter saying that is not going to happen. Like I feel okay about that. So positive reinforcement doesn't mean putting yourself subordinate to the dog. Right. Now, because I am an advocate for positive reinforcement training, maybe I don't talk about that as much because I am trying to convince people, please be kind to your dog. Right. And I have seen and heard terrible things and I want people to be kind. But over the last couple of years in particular, I've been um, making a point of talking more about this, what we're talking about right now, that human beings can't, it's not the good shit lollipop every day. It cannot be, we all have rights and your dog is going to be okay if you tell them you need to stop that. It's okay to do that. You would have saved me so much therapy costs by, by just hearing this. Because positive reinforcement is uh, what I feel is it clashes with reality sometimes of what you're saying. Like, I need to work. She's barking up a storm. And I'm like, stop that. Like, mm -hmm. stop that. And then I can get her attention and then I can throw her a treat. But sometimes I feel like I'm in a position where I cannot fully drop everything I'm doing and engage with her and reward her and redirect her behavior. And I'm like, but how am I supposed to keep this up? To be honest with you, I don't think there's an individual on the planet who can pull off nonstop positive reinforcement every second of their lives. I, I just can't imagine that. And it's okay to put your needs and rights on the scale when you make your choices. 
So here's our first training tip. Positive reinforcement is a wonderful trend in the right direction, but it has an unintended consequence of setting up superhuman expectations. So then when you don't meet them because none of us are superhuman, give yourself a break. Dog training is so much about trying to figure out what your dog is thinking about and what they're feeling, and especially if your dog is barking because they're scared at someone. Like, Scraps will put on a really tough show if somebody comes into the house, but I know she's scared and she's uncomfortable. And then I'm like thinking of if I would add some pain element into that mix, and you're like, that makes no sense. That just makes it so much worse because then person comes in through the gate and then I get shocks, you know? How is that ever gonna... It might get her so scared that she backs off, but also I know she's a dog who's like, she's stubborn as hell. She's tiny, but she's not gonna back down. You and are yeah. absolutely right. There's a difference between a dog going for my food on my counter and mm -hmm. a dog who's barking out of fear. One is a desire. I like to do this. Or when my dog barks at the squirrel out the window, it's not fear, it's mm. excitement. It's a predatory behavior, it's fun. So when you use, let's call it a mild punisher, a verbal punisher, for example, but no pain and no uh, true fear, that is different than when a dog is expressing distress. And the distress can be anger too. We don't like to admit it, but anger is also not a choice. We're sympathetic mm -hmm. to fearful beings. We are not sympathetic to angry beings, but that actually makes no sense because neither one of those emotions is anyone's choice. So you're saying be aware of the context and a bark is not a bark is not a bark, right? It depends on the what kind yeah. of bark it is. If it's angry barking or fearful barking, the dog is not choosing it. The bark mm. is the result of the emotion. The dog can't do better. So I'm just going to try to get the dog out of that situation or frankly feed them because if they're eating, they're usually quiet. And I know that confuses people. They say, well, but aren't you reinforcing the behavior? You can only reinforce behavior, you cannot reinforce emotions. So if a child is crying or afraid and you feed them, you do not increase the crying or fear because you did something nice. Hmm. That's because it's emotion driven. If something is emotion driven, hmm. you don't need to worry about reinforcing it. It's not even possible. So we're getting tactical here, which is, which is great. <laughs> um, what are some things that both of you have found to be useful in managing inappropriate barking. <laughs> the ideal is that you see it coming. So you're walking along and you notice your dog looks at another dog and you notice the dog's ears went up. At that point, you already know what's gonna happen if you continue on this train. So your job is to say, bup, bup, let's go this way. Get distance. You wanna get distance from the other dog, get away, get so distance. So preemptive, preemptive Absolutely. strike. Or tell the dog what you want. I want you to heal. I want you to look at my face. Be very clear and directive about what you need to see at that moment. That gives the dog something to do as opposed to what not, not to, to do, do, which is don't make trouble with the other dog. Simone, is that, is that possible? Do you find you're able to do that? What percentage of the time with scraps? Um, the way I think of it is twofold. It's one, preventing freakout, but also how quickly does she recover from freakout? Because mm -hmm. they do happen. Um, so with her, if we went to the dog park, now we've gotten to a point where she will bark at somebody. I'm able to redirect her and be like, let's do this instead. Let's play. Mm -hmm. Let's work on some tricks. Let's sniff this butt, whatever you want to do. And she's recovered a lot quicker. And then she'll like still look at that person and maybe bark twice. And then she'll be like, okay, where's my cookie? I'm ready to engage with you. Um, but then the other thing, I don't know, I would love to compare notes with you, Denise, is the demand barking that she's so good at. Like there is a toy under the couch. And or there's something that she wants up on the counter. And there I feel like the strategy is more 
just ignore them and teach them that that's not gonna like you're not gonna I'm not gonna get it for you just because you bark. With that said, I almost always give in. She's a terrorist, but I will happily negotiate with her because she has the shrillest bark. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll crawl under the dusty couch and get that one ball. Even though you have 15 other balls, I'm going to get that one ball for you so you stop barking. Okay, so that would be an example where I would suggest that maybe you have more rights than you're giving yourself credit for. So I give the dog one warning. When they start barking, I say, that's enough. And if they keep barking, I say, did you want to take a nap? And I will go and pick them up and put them in their crate for a minute. It's like, I just, that is a punishment. Mm -hmm. However, that would drive me crazy having a dog demand bark all the time. Sometimes, frankly, I don't care. I'll just get it for them. I'll say, what do you want? But once I've said that's enough, it really does kind of have to be enough. Now, the length of the time in the crate can be one minute. It doesn't have to be hours. It just needs to be enough that the dog recognizes you did hear the barking. By the way, I loved your strategies at the dog park. I think those are great. (laughs) Everything you said was just great. That's exactly what I'd like to see. And it sounds like you're making progress. So that's all really good. I mean, the funny thing with Scraps is like, because she's she's very good at hacking the system. And sometimes she puts her toys in compromising positions, like very (laughs) deliberately. And is like, oh, my God, the toy is in the corner and I can't get it. And I'm like, Scraps, I saw you pick it up and put it there and then start barking at me. For the all the dog owners out there trying to figure this out, when do you know if you need a crate or not? Uh, you need it when you say, gee, I sure wish I had a way to put my dog away. <laughs> uh-huh. When you can't manage your life. The most difficult one has been the stranger danger barking uh-huh. or the That's anger the most barking. Yeah. The demand barking is the the day-to-day, like, oh, my God, just shut up. <laughs> that one, the uh, stranger danger one, because that is emotionally driven, that is definite place where you can just throw food on the ground or just hand over tons of cookies or yeah. anything because food does calm the nervous. Just like people, you know, we, we eat comfort food. It works for dogs too. It helps soothe. Here's a few more training tips. First, if your dog is barking out of anger or fear, move the dog away from the scene or give the dog a treat bonanza. Those emotions are involuntary, so punishment makes no sense. Second, crates are okay. And if you use the crate correctly, it can be a space of their own where the dog knows it'll get treats and you know you can live your life with, as Denise puts it, basic human rights. Can I also say like, I feel like if you have problems with the dog barking, the first question you should always ask is like, has my dog's needs been met? Have I given them enough stimulation? Have they slept well, eaten well, all of that? We can't expect them to behave perfectly if we haven't met their needs. Absolutely, so many behavior problems are solved just by looking at the dog's needs. And just a quick tip for people to know, One of the easiest ways to stop barking in the house is to put window film on windows that face out on problem areas. So for example, I have a feral cat that does live here, comes up to get fed every night at five o'clock and just mayhem would result. (laughs) I got some, I went over to Home Depot, it's like 30 bucks. You put this kind of film, it doesn't even look that bad, you know, on the lower part of the window, instant solution, no effort. It was amazing. Can you still get light in and they just can't see out? It's frosted. It's like a bathroom window. It's exactly what it is. And these things do have a uh, self-perpetuating nature. And it causes (laughs) the dog then to just sort of live in a heightened state of arousal in my house. Mm -hmm. You want to stop that. 
that becomes a habit. So like, for example, if you always played ball with your dog in your house, just know that you are teaching your dog to be wound up in your house. That's maybe something you don't wanna do. So maybe you wanna do your ball playing outside um, or even training time. How much training do you wanna do in your house if it is going to cause your dog, every time you stand up to go, oh, now, now are we gonna work? So little things like that are actually worth thinking about. Here's another tip. If your dog is barking because of a desire, not an uncontrollable emotion, change the environment. If your dog likes to bark at birds, cover the windows. If your dog likes to play ball, play ball outside only. Just like with humans, dogs do better when they aren't surrounded by temptations. Our next tip is pretty counterintuitive. Teach your dog to bark on command. How do you do that? I ask her bark and she oh, barks. Oh, really? Bark. Yes, good job. Oh, that's, that's cute. that's adorable. Yes, good job. Oh, she's in good okay. form now. Teaching your dog to bark on command is a good tool in like preventing barking as well because it becomes just one of other behaviors. And sometimes it's like fun to ask her to bark, but then she knows that when I'm not asking for it, that's not what I want. When we come back, we're going to bust the myth that your dog absolutely needs to be walked three or four times a day. Then we'll tackle some of the really gnarly problems for dogs like children or aggression. Stay with us. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. If you rely on how-to, the best way to support this show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on our podcast every week. It's only $1 for the first month, and members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You'll also get free and total access to Slate's website. Plus, you'll be supporting our important work. So I hope you'll join if you can. Again, it's just $1 for your first month. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. Thanks. We're back with Simone Yetch and Denise Fenzi. And whether you have a puppy who needs to be socialized or a dog like Scraps, who is super wary of new people, bringing them into public spaces is a big step. So you want to make sure you do it right. So the puppy that's here now is about 14 weeks of age. So he's sort of in his prime socialization time. So I realized that there's a tennis court next to me that's attached to a preschool. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go in there. I can take him off leash and we can play a little ball because he plays ball. 
And what I realized is it was a great way to introduce him to children because the children couldn't get to him because mm -hmm. they're in their preschool. But he could see them through the mesh and they're riding their bikes and then they were making little parades. They were doing kid things, you know, like preschoolers. And so he's observing all of this bizarreness, but it's a big space because tennis courts are large. Mm -hmm. So he was he could choose. He could go in that direction or away. And what I realized is I felt so calm because there was no way one of those kids was going to come zooming over mm -hmm. and scare us. And so we did that for three days. Um, and so now I feel comfortable that if somebody comes up, I feel okay about it. You know, it's interesting that the through line for most of this advice is strategically taking control of the environment instead of trying to control the dog. But do it step by step. By giving yourself small wins, you both are building confidence and trust. The other important element for a happy dog, just like a happy human, is physical and mental exercise. As Simone said, you're meeting the dog's needs. But exercise doesn't have to be a walk either. People also have this weird thing that dogs have to be walked. Dogs do not have to be walked. Some dogs hate going for walks. Right now, I'm going to give you permission to stop walking your dog. If your wow. dog does not like to go for walks, oh, wow. stop walking your dog. This is There's no reason to do it. Some dogs don't like to walk. They don't let the world scares them. It overwhelms them. It's miserable. I think though, like for me, Scraps and I, like when we walk, it's one of the times where we really like, we got it going. Like we got a good flow. We're both enjoying it. She is great off leash. Her recall is on point. She will do like a 180 turn and just be like, yeah, I'm getting a treat. Wow, that's awesome. So it's really up to you and your dog. But if you don't do walks, your dog still does need exercise and stimulation. So Denise has some fun tricks for doing that without ever leaving home. Take the entire meal, throw it in your backyard. Let the dog go find it. For one hour, your dog will go around picking oh, so all like the Like a scavenger bits. hunt? Like you put it Absolutely. all over the yard? Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not even that systematic. It just gets thrown. <laughs> so I start thinking in terms of enrichment. What silly games are people will take kibble and they'll roll it up in a towel. So you roll the towel, you sprinkle kibble. You roll the towel, you sprinkle kibble. And when you're done, then you duct tape the towel and you give that to the dog. <laughs> Things like that get the dog using their brain. Those are fantastic substitutes for walking. The dog does not need to walk. The question is, are you doing interesting things for your dog? Because our dogs live as little prisoners. I mean, if you really think about it, their lives are pretty restricted. When I was a kid, we literally, people just let their dogs roam the neighborhood. Right. There's no doubt in my mind that before they got killed, hit by a car or whatever, they had pretty good lives because they went out <laughs> in the morning and they did stuff, right? They they had self-directed situations. We don't do that anymore. And so now we have to provide entertainment for them. I think that's always the thing of like, so we've been doing a lot of nose work, but I mean the same, we go to obedience class. She spends majority of the class just training, going to bed and laying in bed. And she's so tired from it afterwards because she has yeah, to think exhausting. and she has to be in this environment with a lot of smells. And she's like exhausted from thinking. I'm so glad you mentioned nose work. I love nose work. If anybody's just curious about something you can do with your dog, you can do it in your house. If you really get into it, you can go to competitions. Can you can you define nose work for the lay people? Nose work 
is um, when the dog learns to find a specific scent, so like a birch oil or something. And at first you make it really easy. So the dog finds it and they get cookies. And then you start making it harder and harder. So you start hiding these little Q-tips around your house or your yard or on your car. It's like a drug dog, but it's for civilians. How's that? For dogs, using their nose is a very soothing thing. It actually helps them calm, but it also makes their brain tired. So it's fantastic for bad weather activity in your house. You can also do what Denise calls a sniffari. Instead of forcing your dog to march in lockstep with you on a walk, let your dog's nose be your compass. You take them out and you say, where do you want to go? And the hmm. dog can pick. And it's actually fascinating. I remember the first time I did this with my old dog. I took her out and she went one direction and then she backtracked. And I remember mentally thinking, no, no, we're going this way. We've already been there. And it was interesting for me to observe my own preconceived notions about mm. the fact that walks are linear. Like mm -hmm. we've already been there, so now we have to go this way. But why? I, that makes no sense right. at all, right? That, <laughs> wh why shouldn't we backtrack? And so as much as possible, when I take out like a puppy to socialize them, like the one I have here now, as much as possible, I, I let it be dog directed because the walk is for the dog. I think this is something that's so nice with positive reinforcement as well, because the old school of thought is very much like, no, you can't have your dog walk in front of you because you're the pack leader. <laughs> and like, it has this, like, there's so many ways that you need to, but like your dog, it's not a relationship. Like it's them just following you and always taking your command. And it's like, I, I really enjoy the back and forth so much and like trying to, like the language goes both ways, like training your dog, it's both them understanding your language, but also you learning about their language. And it's a back and forth and a, an exchange in a way that's really fun. Okay, so this is the kind of bonding with your pet we all want. And hopefully you've come away from this with a few more tricks or at least treats up your sleeve. But what happens if your dog gets aggressive and can't be safely handled in public? What should you do when you've tried literally everything? Simone has a story like that, and it's still painful for her to talk about. So, yeah, when I was 20, I got a uh, American Staffordshire puppy with my ex. And uh, so like a, a fancy pit bull. And we were very, very engaged dog owners. Like we took every puppy class. We really like had a blast raising this dog. But I remember when he was seven months, one of my friends came over to the apartment and he barked at her, which is fine, not ideal, but he wouldn't stop barking at her. And I was like, okay, seven months is like a common fear period. Puppies go through fear periods. Uh, usually they get out of it. But what was different with him was that he just didn't get out of it. He just slowly got worse and worse and you know we went to every dog trainer we went to the breeder we went to psychologists to masseuse therapists to uh, physical therapy but he just slowly got worse and it's one of the toughest situations I've ever been in because you know a dog is always like their needs are going to run your life um, but what's different is when a dog's problem behaviors run your life. And like every time I knew somebody was going to come over, I would get a pit in my stomach. And um, 
Yeah, he would like just jump up on random people on the subway and bark, and he was a big dog. And it got to the point where I was like, he's he's a danger, like he's gonna hurt somebody. And he jumped up and grabbed the sleeve of a guy who was just passing by. And that was the first time that he'd actually like bit down. And that was when, um, yeah, we uh, decided that we couldn't. It, w- it wasn't safe to have him. He was going to hurt somebody. And that's, you know, when you have big, powerful dogs, it comes with such a big responsibility. And it's it's a, it's a situation I wouldn't wish upon anyone, you know, because you, know, you try. Yeah. Oh, man, what a story. I have heard that story so many times in so many versions, thousands of times. And my heart goes out to you in the most sincere way. Um, I've been through a similar thing. I would say I have PTSD as a result. I know this is hard to talk about, Simone, and I really appreciate your sharing it. And I actually think that until we talk about this stuff more, it's just going to be taboo and stigmatized, and it's not good for anyone, right? Because we all feel, I had a dog during the pandemic, didn't work out four months very, very difficult. And I still feel bad about it. And I still feel very, I walk down the street, same thing. When I see other dogs, I don't make eye contact because we had got all this training about like, you know, how to deal with aggressive dogs. And the thing is, you're right. Nobody talks about this. It's, It's all kind of like underground. And I don't think that serves the animals. I don't think that serves families. So I just wanted to express my gratitude for your sharing it because I think that's like, the one thing we absolutely must do. I think the fact that there are three of us having this conversation and all three of us have had uh, some version of this difficult situation says a lot. And there's still a lot more to say. Next week, we're gonna go deep on the things we don't talk about enough when we talk about pets, fear, aggression, and what you can do for your dog and yourself when nothing else works. You won't want to miss it. Do you have a problem dog or just a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. How-To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Special thanks to Kevin Bendis and Amber Smith. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.